Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. All right, hello, hello, everyone. This is part two the truth about cancer deep dive. Definitely make sure you've listened to part one. Because I'm not doing any introduction here. This is a big book and we've got a long way to go. So jumping right in here, the next point that I saved by Dr. Boris Greenblatt. When Ty Bollinger asks him, why do you think so many children are being born with cancer these days? Dr. Greenblatt says that a very important role in this plays vaccination. Interestingly enough, every patient that came to the clinic that I was working in who was a sick kid, I was asking if they had vaccinations. Everyone had vaccinations, and almost every patient can recall some complication from this vaccination. I would pop in there and say that most people in the Western world or modern world, especially in Canada, most of us are vaccinated. So by default, most of the people coming in with any problem, yes, they are going to have been vaccinated, mostly because most people are vaccinated, regardless. Talking about childhood vaccinations. So this is a major reason. Another major reason is all these toxins that the mother ingests, like BPA for instance. When the child is born, all of this in his system are lots of these toxins which lead to these problems. Basically it's the modern way of life. Vaccination and these toxins which surround us. And that's all I saved, but he said something else here. There was research and umbilical blood was taken from newly born kids and they had over 200 chemical substances which were carcinogens or toxins or bad for the health. And Ty said, yeah, I think it was close to 300 total chemicals. And over 200-something were known carcinogens. And Ty said, it's really amazing that we have kids that are born without cancer, isn't it? I agree. And Grinblad talks about some other things like chaga mushroom and turmeric. But I only saved that one point. Next point that I did save is by a doctor group. He said, so we found what we wanted to do was kind of change the whole philosophy and start with fixing the intestines where, you know... The immune system resides. The neurological system, because we trace back to the appendix, which our medical system still says is useless. We had to translate Russian research to figure out how important the appendix actually is. The appendix actually regulates the lymphatic system. The neurological system, the immune system, regulates everything in the bowel, sends signals to the brain, sends signals to all the endocrine system. Every system in the body is regulated by the appendix. 
interesting. I definitely think that removing organs, any organ, shaves years off the life expectancy, at least, maybe decades, depending on the organ. We traced everything back, all disease-causing agents and cancer-causing agents, to coming into the intestines. So that's the first exposure point to all your foods, your protein, your fats, carbohydrates, minerals, vitamins, everything. Your microcomputer system is really located at the juncture of your large intestine and your small intestine. Then we started figuring out how little doctors were being taught about the importance of the intestines. They're not teaching doctors how to properly balance the intestines because they know that if they poison the intestines, it's eventually going to burn holes with the genetically modified foods and all the acid compounds. All the chemicals and disease-causing toxins are going to leak into the bloodstream. Then they're going to poison the liver. And they know that if they poison the intestines and they poison the liver, that you're going to get some degenerative disease. Or you're going to get cancer fairly rapidly. So he's saying this is a closely guarded secret of the medical profession and the gastroenterologists and big pharma. Saying that they're not teaching doctors how to properly balance the intestines because they know that if they poison the intestines, it's eventually going to burn holes in their intestine. If they don't fix people's digestion, if they don't incorporate that into the message and what the medical profession is supposed to be advising people on, on how to live, if they don't teach doctors about this and they don't teach patients about this, then this guy, Dr. Group, is saying this is like a purposeful conspiracy because they know that if you get this leaky gut from these digestion problems, poisons the intestine, it poisons the liver, and you're going to get some degenerative disease or cancer. Continuing on, and also we link that to all mental illness. There's no such thing as mental illness. There's no depression, anxiety, bipolar, or any of that stuff. That was all created for the big pharma to prescribe medications because they knew that when the liver becomes toxic and the intestines become toxic and the intestines can't secrete serotonin, regulate the neurotransmitters, and you're going to get heavy metals, and they're going to alter the neurotransmitters in the brain. Some pretty heavy statements there. So we traced back all this chemical toxicity to really two organs, the intestines and the liver. And the liver is the only organ in the body that regenerates itself. Not entirely true, thyroids sometimes grow back as well, at least if they're only partially removed. But there has been some cases, at least that I've heard of, I've not seen the before and after x-rays or whatever. But it's rumored that even a thyroid that's been fully removed could potentially grow back. But yeah, the liver is more well-known for this. You can cut it out up to 90%, maybe even more, and it can grow itself back. It's a very resilient organ. Tries very hard. That organ does a lot of work. So you want to be good to the liver. Give it lots of nutrients. Stay away from toxins as much as possible because it's what has to clean out toxins from your system. So when we opened our cancer clinic in 1998, our main focus was how can we keep the intestines clean on a regular basis because we found most people prescription drugs and since these are transcripts sometimes they kind of just change topic mid-conversation here so we've got prescription drugs over 900 prescription drugs 90 percent of them cause constipation they also kill the intestinal flora chemotherapy ruins the intestinal lining yeah don't think that only antibiotics kill bacteria in your body by the way most, if not all, drugs kill bacteria in the body as well. And definitely, constipation is a huge problem for people who are on drugs. We use this questionnaire to get an idea of a person, their situation, their diagnoses, so we can give a nutritional recommendation. And yeah, often when constipation is on the list, and often it's not even, they don't even talk about it, you have to find it out later. You ask them if they have a digestion problem, it's one of the questions. And they'll say no, and yet, yeah, you find out that they only have a bowel movement every two days or three days or more. 
or just in general they don't have healthy bowel movements. Almost always there is a drug involved. And yeah, usually they have other bad habits as well, but very, very common to me to see constipation coincide with any form of pharmaceutical drug use. Even like Tylenol or a depression drug. Chemotherapy ruins the intestinal lining, that's absolutely true. So does Tylenol and Advil and stuff. Chemotherapy also kills liver cells, radiation does as well. So we found that the allopathic approach to treating cancer, which is the mainstream approach, was only putting a band-aid over the problem. And he goes into some other stuff that I did not save. So the next point here, still in doctor group. What we found with evaluating over 100,000 liver cleanses is liver cleansing is probably the most effective ways of, of boosting your self-healing mechanism. Every liver cleanse is going to boost the liver production and efficiency by 10 to 15%, which means another thing we found in research is that most cancer and degenerative disease patients need multiple liver cleanses, usually 3, 6, or 9, in order to boost the liver above 80%, which is where you really need the liver functioning, at about 80%. If you want your self-healing mechanism to be working at 100%, so you need to get your liver working in order to get your self-healing mechanism working. Skipping forward, next point. We looked at a lot of different ingredients, this is for a parasite cleanse, and we decided that we would use the black walnut hull from the green hull. We would use American worm seed, epizote, or epizote. We would use wormwood, very famous, wormwood, for killing parasites. We would use clove, kamala, and that combination with a couple of others, with romaleon. We would be able to, also using diatomaceous earth as a flow agent. Hey, I like that one. I've been promoting diatomaceous earth for a long time. And I haven't actually sold it since I helped to open a health store. Or we sell it at the store. But I still recommend it all the time. They call it a flow agent. That's neat. Yeah, it runs through the system and clears stuff out and attracts gunk and parasites to it with an electrical charge. So the same with using uh, diatomaceous earth as a flow agent, we would be able to get rid of and purge the majority of the parasites in the body. And you see, in a parasite cleanse takes six weeks because that's the cycle of most parasites from the time they lay eggs until the time that they're an adult. So if you do a parasite cleanse for a shorter period, shorter than six weeks, then there might be eggs still left in there that might hatch. And he goes more into this. A lot of people ask me about parasites, but this is not a parasite episode. So the next point, still Dr. Group here. Iodine is one thing that I would highly recommend every single person look at because we found that it's crucial in the oxidation. Because he was talking before about glucose oxidase, but he's saying that every single person is deficient in iodine, and when you're deficient in iodine, cancer can be one of the consequences. But also, every single cancer patient should be on probably a minimum of 10 to 20,000 micrograms of a detoxified iodine a day. Two other things is vitamin D3 that everybody is deficient in. And then also B12. He's saying everybody's deficient in iodine, B12, and vitamin D. And yeah, I would agree, not everybody, but widespread massive deficiencies in these three nutrients for sure. All of them are so important. All part of the 90th century nutrients. Alright, next point I saved is from a Dr. Harmon. Three primary deficiencies on lab work that we see. We look at vitamin D, a huge one. We see that most people's vitamin D levels are around 20 and we want around 60 to 80. And I've been saying 50 to 70, by the way. We did do a vitamin D deep dive episode here, and from that book, I got the 50 to 70 number here, but Dr. Harmon is saying 60 to 80 is what you really want. I think that's nanograms per milliliter or something. That's huge because vitamin D is huge for the immune system. B12, really, really huge. 
The other guy just mentioned that, vitamin D and B12. We see that being low a lot of the times, and that ties into methylation. And then the third thing we see is ferritin. We may see that low, or we may actually see that really high, which is iron. Iron to the blood, iron to your tissues. And there's a number of other toxicities and deficiencies as well. Heavy metals, for instance. Next point I saved, he's talking about Dr. Nicholas Gonzalez, which we read him before. And I'm not sure if I actually believe this, but says here, Dr. Nick says, people who are sympathetic dominant, meaning they're like stressed, right? Their sympathetic nervous system, that, that's your fight or flight nervous system. Your parasympathetic is what you want to activate in order to heal. It's your rest and relaxation system, parasympathetic. So he's saying that people who are sympathetic dominant, stressed, basically, they're prone to solid tumors of the organs. He says, conversely, people who are parasympathetic dominant are prone to cancers, immunological cancers, like leukemia, lymphoma, myeloma, and sarcoma. So I, I don't, I really don't actually agree with that. I could see more on that, but um, who knows? It's hard for me to even say if you're parasympathetic or sympathetic diet dominant. I'm not a psychologist. Moving on. Still in Dr. Harmon. You need the extract to really address that. This is turmeric extract because you are looking for 3,000 to maybe four or 5,000 milligrams. So you need an extract to really address that for reducing inflammation. And he's talking about berberine as well, but I'm pretty sure I just saved that for the dose. And the fact that you need an extract, this is not just turmeric that you put on your food in order to get three to 5,000 milligrams, you're going to need a product for that. And here I saved what they were talking about earlier with the umbilical cord study. It just looks like uh, this guy has the numbers more memorized. We know that we live in a society that's exposed to more chemicals now than ever before. The environmentalworkinggroup.org did a study where they tested umbilical cord blood in babies, and they found that the average baby born in that study had about 287 known toxins in their body, 180 approximately of which are cancer-causing. So same study, slightly different numbers. Next point I saved, different person. They're talking about root canals here. Ty Bollinger says, what do you recommend if someone has a root canal? Well, it is the most deadly thing you can have in your body, practically. One of the dentists I work with calls them, calls it taxidermy of the jaw. What it is, is taking a tooth that cannot be filled with a cavity. Because the cavity would invade the center portion the nerve of the tooth and make it incredibly painful. So he's not the only one that believes that uh, root canals are one of the most, if not the most toxic substances in the body. And this is a good opportunity for me to tell you about my friends at the American Biodental Clinic in Tijuana, Mexico, just a few minutes over the border from Southern California. And I really trust the people at American Biodental. I don't have any dental work to do myself, but if I did, I would go to them. I know here in Canada, holistic dentistry is practically illegal. Most dentists will not at all entertain any of these notions of fillings being toxic and root canals needing reversed and etc. Regular dentists believe what they were taught, which is that the only safe place to store mercury is in a patient's mouth. Right When they're uh, making the amalgam themselves, they have to protect themselves. When they're transporting it, storing it, it has to be treated as toxic. But when it's in your mouth, it's supposedly fine. 
So in Canada, it's almost out of the question to even find someone to do this. In America, I'm sure there are many holistic dentists, but what I know is that America is much, much more expensive than Mexico. And I know the American Biodental Clinic has state-of-the-art equipment and techniques to remove fillings safely and to reverse root canals and much more, actually. Speaking about cancer here, they do have many IV options as well all at a very reasonable price and a very comfortable and safe facility. They actually pick you up over the border and bring you to your appointment and bring you back over the border free of charge, just so you don't have to get the insurance or whatever. Even though it's only a few minutes over the border, it can be a little bit weird driving in Mexico. So you don't have to worry about any of that. They pick you up. And yeah, they have a wide variety of options for more serious treatments, things like a hyperbaric chamber, the whole room version, not the little coffin that you have to sit in. All kinds of IVs, including stem cells. And more, they've got a lot going on there. And you can see their services and prices at AmericanBioDental.com. And if you tell them that not us referred you, you will actually get $50 off if you spend at least $400. And I will get a credit for that. I will be using those credits to help some people that I know get their root canals removed and their fillings removed. I know some people who have a mouth full of metal and I would really like to help them out. The price for getting one filling removed is very reasonable. I think it's something like 400 bucks. But when you've got a whole mouth worth of work to do, it can be expensive. And this is one reason actually to explore this option because in America, this would be incredibly expensive. And it's extremely unlikely that any insurance is going to cover something like this. Voluntary procedure. So you can see this all at AmericanBioDental.com. The link is in the description. They have another website, HolisticCare.com, for their IV treatments. And I, I don't know, it's just, it's separate from their dentistry, even though it's all the same facility. I think they're going to integrate the websites. They'll both be in the description. But if you consult with them, they can tell you what they've got, dental and non-dental. AmericanBioDental.com, not us is who referred you. All right, and next point I saved here, this is still Bill Henderson talking, by the way. It's still about teeth. And I'm just going to read up from what I saved. The root canal, the idea, the name is a little misleading. Because the root canal is what goes down through the tooth into the roots of the tooth. So what you get is a filling put into the area where they have taken out nerve and pulp. Which is supposed to be on the inside of the tooth. They take that out and they put a filling in. It's a kind of rubbery substance called gutta percha in most cases. But it does not seal off this millions of little tubules, unfortunately, like it is supposed to. So they put in a filling, but it doesn't fully fill it. So there's little cavities left over, and there's no oxygen in there. So anaerobic bacteria form. And this was discovered over 100 years ago, and very well documented that the anaerobic bacteria that accumulate there cause all kinds of chronic degenerative stuff. Heart disease, cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, proven beyond any doubt. But the study, which was completed in 1923, believe it or not, after 60 prominent dentists tried to figure out how to do a safe root canal, and they threw up their hands and published this 1174 pages of their study of root canals, and found that they could not be done safely. And now, almost 100 years later, they're still done the same way. There's about 30 million root canals every year in the United States. It's a very big money-making exercise. Henderson here is saying the dentists are in denial about this, as they are about mercury. And so people listen to their dentists down the street. Don't worry about those root canals. They're okay. You must have some problem originating somewhere else. It passes you on to another practitioner. Go to your doctor for that. 
You got a tooth problem, your doctor says go to your dentist. Meanwhile, your doctor should say stop eating gluten, eat a bunch of healthy fats, and make sure you're supplementing with your minerals and vitamin D. This is the benefit of a holistic practitioner. They're supposed to look at the whole body. Continuing on, when in almost every case, 95% of the time, the primary cause of the cancer, in my experience, is coming out of their jaw. And yeah, he's not the only one that says somewhere around 90%. I definitely don't think they could calculate that. Again, so many factors to health. Cancer usually develops over a long period of time, etc. But I've been asking people with cancer if they have any work done in their mouth. And almost all of them, yes, absolutely. There's fillings, there's root canals, or both. Now again, there's going to be a lot of people out there that don't have a chronic disease. My sample is biased because I talk to people with diseases primarily. And there's going to be many people out there who don't have a disease who do have root canals done or have mercury fillings in. But I would say it's impossible for them to be unaffected by the leaching mercury or by the root canal. Thank goodness they seem to be robust enough to not be feeling it right now. But I do absolutely believe that it will be contributing to any chronic problem. It's a chronic stress on the body, a chronic poison that the body has to try and deal with and divert nutrients and resources to. Continuing on, skipping forward, the reason, of course, is that not only is this an extraction, it is a surgical procedure to clean up the infected bone. The ligament surrounding the tooth is always 400% more affected, apparently, than the root canal itself. So he's saying this is why you should go to somebody who really knows what they were doing. And I just mentioned American Biodental. Well, I've talked to them about this as well, even with some of my own clients. And yeah, I was pretty surprised, actually. I thought that they would be more concerned about the mercury fillings, but they said, no, let's look at these x-rays here. Look at that bone behind these root canal teeth. Those are infected. That's what the text just said here. The ligament surrounding the tooth is always 400% more affected than the root canal itself. So the average dentist will, if you insist, will pull the tooth out with the root canal, fill the space in, but they will not clean up the socket correctly. Yes, this is very, very important. If you're not going to choose American Biodental, definitely find somebody who knows what they're doing about cleaning bone and using ozone even, or something else to clean out the area as well, thoroughly kill any infection that is going on before they cover it up with something. Because that just creates the same problem all over again. Anaerobic bacteria trap behind that barrier. So this is the major problem with root canals. They have to be removed by a competent dentist who has trained himself or herself after dental school to do this correctly. After dental school. They don't teach you this in dental school. There are very few of them in the United States. Out of the 160,000 dentists in the American Dental Association, there are less than 50 that I would trust to clean up with my jaw. Skipping forward, next point I saved is from a Dr. Helu, and I just saved the point that mercury fillings are banned by the World Health Organization, or mercury is banned by the World Health Organization, for being used in basically any product except for dental fillings. And he's saying it's banned all over the world, in fact, but they still find a way to use it. The year they banned it was the year the thermometers, the glass thermometers with the mercury inside, they disappeared all of a sudden. The thermometer industry found a way to do it without mercury, but the dental industry just stuck to the mercury. Roughly 50% of any metal filling is going to be mercury. To this day, they haven't discovered some new space-age metal or anything to take the place of mercury. Skipping forward, we know that mobile phones, microwaves, GPS, and similar do alter body chemistry. And also, 
when there are a mix of things, like if you have amalgam fillings, metal fillings, and you use the mobile phone a lot, the filling, which is metallic, acts as an aerial, as an antenna. It amplifies the signal and pulls more radiation into your body, and it also affects the fetus. And Ty says, so they see a correlation between the mothers with amalgam fillings and then babies with cancer? And Dr. Hilu says, I do see it in practice. And then he goes into some other things. But I want to comment here that this is another thing I've talked with the American Biodental Clinic about. And I don't have that many dentist friends, by the way, so I just ask a bunch of questions whenever I can. And I've asked if they see any correlation between people with radiation sensitivity, EMF sensitivity, and fillings. And they said with no hesitation, yeah, absolutely. Some people report that they can like hear things, like they're picking up like radio signals almost. Act as an antenna. And definitely report that their EMF sensitivity got better when they got the fillings removed. So that's a thing. Metal in your mouth, metal in your body. First of all, it can disrupt your own electrical energy, especially in the mouth. That's part of the problem with fillings and multiple fillings in different places in the mouth and different metals being used for the amalgam, different amounts of them, the conductivity. But also that, yeah, it can attract frequencies to it like an antenna. Skipping forward, still Dr. Helu, because bear in mind, if we get back to one of your questions before, nutrition is probably 25% of health or disease. So you need a 25% training hours to be fair with a patient. If not, you are not qualified. Shouldn't treat the patient. Now, I think I would put that percentage a little bit higher than 25%, but I like the point there that since nutrition is such a big part of our health and our lack of health, that doctors by rights should have an equivalent training in that. You shouldn't have 95% training on drugs and surgeries and tests and 5% if you're lucky on nutrition and other lifestyle factors. To me, it should easily, yes, I totally agree, a bare minimum of 25% of their time that they spend training to be a doctor or a dentist for that matter would practically eliminate the bulk of chronic disease in the modern world. Just that alone, if the medical establishment spent 25% of their time, their study time, their training time, just 25% of that on nutrition, it would literally change the health landscape. Obesity and diabetes and arthritis would start disappearing. Cancers would definitely go down. The rates of getting it. And I do believe even the rate of standard treatment even if they didn't change their treatment because if you get people more nourished they can withstand the chemotherapy better that's come up in this book a couple of times as well moving forward to the next this is from a dr linda isaacs and one of the big questions of course is why does a baby need to make pancreatic enzymes and this happens very early in development more about enzymes here yeah very interesting stuff this this enzyme rabbit hole nature tends to be pretty conservative in other words the lungs are not ready to go until the last month or two because the baby is not breathing. But here the baby is making pancreatic enzymes, and yet in classic physiology we are taught that pancreatic enzymes are only good for digesting food. But here the baby is making them really two months into the development. But it would make all kinds of sense if the purpose of those pancreatic enzymes was to control the growth of the trophoblast. Because again, uncontrolled growth is no good for the baby and no good for the mother because it would kill the mother. And she's talking about Dr. Nick Gonzalez again. She met him and learned about enzymes with him. And she's also talking about trauma here. 
and I'm more hands-on with uh, people with cancer than I am with our normal customers. So I've gotten to know them fairly well, and some of them blatantly don't have trauma. I ask them too. Once we go beyond the basic questionnaire here, I do want to know about life traumas. Did something significant happen right before the cancer diagnosis? Right before the health started to get noticeably worse? And honestly, not always. So I just, I disagree with this. There's always some major stress or some major trauma. I do not agree. I'm positive that stress plays a big role in most chronic disease. But the key word is most. It's just another form of stress. Nutrient deficiencies is also a stress. Toxic overload is also a stress. Lack of sleep. Of course, relationship problems. We've all been there when things are going real bad in life. And we end up making a bunch of bad choices too at the same time. Oh, I'm stressed, I'm busy, all this stuff, I'm tired, so I'm going to eat this junk food because it's quick and it's easy. So it can be a vicious cycle here. Just saying, major trauma is not always involved. I disagree. Many times it is, but not always. Some people use that word always too loosely. Moving forward, next point I saved from a Dr. Mumby. The point is, you weren't given a liver to deal with cosmetics. It's supposed to deal with foods and environmental factors, not man-made synthetics such as now. And that's interesting to me. I think the average woman would do less if they realized that they absorb about two pounds, that's around a kilogram, of cosmetics through their skin every year. Two pounds of sludge and slime, toxic sludge and slime, that your liver's got to deal with. And yeah, you weren't given a liver to deal with cosmetics. And there could be, I think, like mercury and, and lipstick, all kinds of toxic chemicals and all kinds of different makeup products. Not even to mention aerosols and hairsprays and even the EMF from like a hair straightener or blow dryer. Putting yourself together can be pretty toxic. And yeah, I agree. The practice of uh, makeup, I'm glad to see that there is this uh, undercurrent of women and girls who are going more natural or completely natural, just not wearing makeup. I don't think they need it, truly. And my wife is beautiful, and that's not just subjective. I gotta beat the guys away from her sometimes, but she probably wouldn't want to hear this, but I would say honestly, when she uses makeup, it doesn't enhance her face any more than it normally does. And I would say that about most, if not all, women. P.S. here, little note on beauty. I can't remember where the study was. I think it was in one of Paul Ekman's books where they determined that beauty really just meant health and symmetry. And I would argue even that symmetry itself is a measure of health. When you think of some degenerative disease, often it happens more to one side than the other, or it throws off the symmetry. Think of a nice round apple or peach, plum. Now think of it mangled on one side, or it has a wart on one side, or a gouge out of one side. Think again of a human. Yeah, that wart... They don't usually show up symmetrically. Health problems are usually asymmetrical. Think of a stroke. One half of the face goes limp. Think of someone cross-eyed. Hey, this happens a lot. I've seen several cases where it happened right after a vaccine as well, making someone go cross-eyed or googly-eyed. Well, that's a very obvious asymmetry. And if you ask people what is beautiful, it comes down mostly to health and symmetry. Right? The super skinny body and the obese body are both unattractive to the average person because the average person recognizes health and symmetry as beauty. Just saying here that if somebody was considered ugly, maybe that means they're fat or they're out of shape. Maybe they just don't 
you know, put themselves together. They wear sloppy clothes and their hair's a mess and whatever. That That's easy. But for the most part, I think what we truly think of as ugly is people who are very overweight, very underweight, or disfigured in some way. And of course, you can get a disfigurement from an accident, but many of them do come from health problems, health complications. So I'm saying that the world could be a lot more beautiful, quite literally, if it just focused on health more. And this idea that you absorb two pounds in a year of toxic sludge from using cosmetics, I'm saying the use of cosmetics is basically unnecessary. Maybe not completely, but definitely not to the degree that the average woman uses now. Think of acne too as well, but this is another great example. If you have a poor complexion, boom, that's a health problem. If you have acne, psoriasis, eczema, anything on the skin that you're covering up, that is a health problem. Hair that's dry and cracked, health problem. Lips that are dry and chapped, health problem. Nutrient deficiencies, all these things. Diabetes can be really ugly. Have you ever seen a a leg that's getting scheduled to get chopped off for gangrene? It's pretty gross. A lot of what we associate with aging does not have to happen. Take care of themselves, being off bad foods, being on a bunch of nutrients, exercising, staying active, staying toned. We don't have to look ugly even in old age. Just saying. Next point I say from a Dr. Pai, P-A-I. We always want to recommend probiotics because the gut microbiome is one of the most important things to our health. And what people don't realize is, they understand that when they take an antibiotic, it lowers the good bacteria in their gut. But chemotherapy, we would consider a hundred times stronger than an antibiotic. That's why people lose weight. They have diarrhea. They have malabsorption. Because when you give chemotherapy, it knocks out all the good bacteria in the gut. And by doing that, they have malabsorption problems. And then their nutrition is poor. I would say it would be poor to start with. Even just having cancer itself will create a nutrient deficiency. So no matter what they're eating, it goes right through them, and then they lose weight. They don't have enough strength. Their immune system is down. And then sometimes they die from the therapy. So we have to look at strengthening the GI tract. Could not agree more. So important for everyone, but especially somebody with cancer, you want to support the body from all angles, especially the gut. Forward, so probiotics, vitamin D, increasing the immune system. We use a lot of mushroom extracts that increase your natural killer cells. We also use mushroom extracts, by the way. One of the products that I love to recommend when people need serious support with the immune system or, yeah, they have something serious like cancer, bacterial infection, anything like that. I recommend these tablets. They're called the Beyond Tangy Tangerine Tablets. And I don't actually recommend going out and buying them, by the way. I recommend contacting us and getting a proper recommendation, not just a single product. Of course, you can contact us on our contact page, wallexwarriors.ca, and that link is in the description of this podcast. There's a questionnaire there. You, You can fill it out and email it to one of the coaches on the contact page. But we have these tablets that have this massive antioxidant score, and I didn't even know how it was possible to get that many antioxidants into a product. This is way more than you could possibly physically eat. It would be absolutely impossible for you to consume that many from food. And apparently the way we got so many antioxidants into that product is from mushroom extracts. Skipping forward to an interview with John Rappaport. I like John Rappaport. I read one of his books about AIDS. It was pretty good. I read his newsletter now and then, John Rappaport. He says it's a medical holocaust because people are dying for not being allowed to get access to uh, like treatments from Stan Brzezinski. They were talking about this earlier in the book. I don't think I saved this. 
They stopped people from getting his treatment, even though his treatment was working. And they, they weren't uh, responding to whatever the conventional treatment was. They were near death's door, and they still were not able to get the holistic treatment in America there, in Houston. So he's saying this is a medical holocaust. There's no question about it. The so-called Starfield Report, July 26, 2000, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and her review is called, Is U.S. Health Really the Best in the World? And the conclusion was the U.S. medical system kills directly every year in the U.S. 225,000 people. And in the interview, she said, that's a conservative estimate. So that would mean that the U.S. medical system is killing 2.25 million people every decade. Wow. I mean, this is not a mystery. Journal of the American Medical Association. She was working at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. MD doctor, public health expert. Revered public health expert. Yeah, medical holocaust, that they're not allowing people to get natural treatments. They're killing them with chemotherapy. Next point I saved. And this is from Ocean Robbins. Interesting story this guy has. My last name may sound familiar to some viewers because my grandfather founded an ice cream company. It's called Baskin Robbins. So he came up with the notion of 31 flavors of ice cream. My dad grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard and 31 flavors of temptation in the freezer at all times. He was groomed from early childhood to one day join running the family company, and it was fully expected that he would. But when he was in his early 20s, his uncle Bert Baskin, my grandpa's partner in the business and brother-in-law, that's where the Baskin came from, Bert Baskin came down with serious heart disease that wound up taking his life. My dad's uncle Bert was a big man. He ate a lot of the family products, the ice cream, and my dad said, you know, there might be some connection here. He started doing some research and he said, I can't spend my life selling a product that's going to make people sick. An ice cream cone isn't going to kill anybody, right? But the more ice cream you eat, the more likely you are to have a lot of the diseases that are prevalent in our times. So my dad followed his own rocky road. He walked away from the family company and then any access to the family wealth to go on in time to become a best-selling author on food and health issues. So yeah, I saved that. I didn't know. This is very interesting. The son of the founder of Baskin-Robbins gave up the chance to run the company because he knew it was making people sick. Very honorable. And then remarkably enough, my grandfather Irving Robbins, the, the one who founded it, wound up in his early 70s being diagnosed with a whole host of serious health problems that you would expect for a man of his age who ate the diet that he had eaten his whole life, which is pretty much the standard American diet, plus a double scoop of ice cream on top. So his doctors told him, you've only got a couple of years to live, and you're going to be taking a serious amount of medications for those two years, and we're afraid that you're not going to be too happy, unless you get serious and make real changes. And his doctor hands him a copy of my dad's book. His son's book. So my grandpa winds up reading it, making changes in his diet, giving up ice cream, giving up junk food and processed food. This is the guy who founded Baskin Robbins. He had to give up ice cream to save his life. Moving towards a more plant-strong diet and getting real results. His golf game improved seven strokes. He lost 30 pounds. He got off all the diabetes medications that he was taking. He wound up living 15 more vibrant, healthy years. That's the kind of thing that's possible when you're willing to make changes. Pretty inspiring stuff. Alright, next point I saved here from a Desiree Rover. Ty Bollinger here, setting her up. What about vaccines? I know you're an expert and you've been looking at vaccines for 25 years. We hear they're safe and effective. We hear they don't cause cancer. We hear that they prevented all these diseases. What is the truth? The opposite. That's the short answer. It's totally the opposite. 
I wrote a book in 2009 on the HPV vaccines, Cervarix and Gardasil. And then for that book, I delved even deeper into the history of vaccination. To my big, big surprise, I found out that Edward Jenner had a folk myth that if you had had the cowpox, you were supposedly protected against smallpox. But these are two viral entities, so it's a nonsense story. What he did, he was the first guy who introduced proteins and DNA and RNA from animals, from other species, into humans. It was called inoculation, or, or variolation. They made a scratch, and they put in the smallpox pus. That's how it originally started. And Jenner did a variation on that. And he put in the cowpox pus, or the goat pox, or the pig pox, or whatever, all sorts of crap. He did that with his son, and the son of his gardener. And both boys never got older than 20 or 21 years old, because they died of tuberculosis, which is an illness related to cows. And then there's Louis Pasteur. His rabies vaccines, and what he did with that, is that he created havoc in the health of the people who got rabies. These days they have rabies vaccines and they play around with rabies in the laboratories. Now you can get rabies from something that's going around in the air. In the States they have been dropping bait packages with rabies in it for the wildlife to vaccinate them. But with vaccination, whether you do it Jenner's way with a scratch, or you do it with a syringe like we do now, you introduce foreign material into the human body. So you change the genetic information and you introduce a lot of toxic chemicals. Yeah, right into the blood. Instead of your body being able to sort of filter it or defend itself or chelate it, try and get rid of it before it gets into the blood, you're putting it right into the blood. You're also putting food particles because there's like oils, carriers, could be egg or peanut oil, and now those food proteins are going directly into the blood and they're not supposed to. Your body's supposed to mobilize an immune reaction when food particles are in the blood. This is the problem with leaky gut. If for any reason undigested food particles get into the blood it's a problem it's an immune problem and that's what we do with vaccines we put it directly into the blood on purpose not a good idea so she talks more about that but that's all i saved next interview is dr irvin sani and i'll read above where i saved give you some context so he's basically uh, disenchanted here with how doctors are acting in the uh lounge at his hospital He's talking about how doctors' lounges and hospitals that he worked in had all kinds of junk food and everything. Like, the doctors themselves were unhealthy. And he's saying, it's pretty unbelievable what we feed patients after we do surgery on them or they're sick. It's toxic stuff. He says here, in fact, I was speaking to one of the people who work in our cafeteria at the old hospital that I used to work at. And I said, why do we always have this greasy bacon and these biscuits and gravy? Just that kind of nasty stuff. And she said... You know, we actually tried bringing healthier food in, and the doctors complained. It's kind of funny there. And so, he was turning his own health around. He lost a bunch of weight. He lost 50 pounds. And people saw that he was drinking green smoothies and working out aggressively. And no one ever came up to me, like his doctor colleagues, no one ever came up to me and said, Wow, I'm so impressed. How did you do that? Can you teach me because I want to get in better shape? Or can you teach me because I want to help my patients? But what they did do was sit me in front of a group of doctors saying... We think you're on drugs. We think that you're an alcoholic. We wonder, they literally asked me these questions. Are you an alcoholic? I have to answer this in front of a group of doctors now. Are you on drugs? Because people are like, you lost so much weight, we can't believe it. I mean, it's that unbelievable to a group of doctors. And that's one reason why I left the hospital, because you can imagine how mind-numbing that is. And they asked me specifically, do you have cancer? You think I have cancer because I lost weight? So he's talking about how before he was unhealthy, he had fatigue, he had low testosterone at 187, very low. As you understand, when you have especially belly fat, 
you have an enzyme called aromatase, and aromatase converts enzymes to estrogen. So even if your testicles are producing adequate amount of testosterone, the belly fat, or overall body fat, will convert that testosterone, and that's when you get male breasts and all that kind of stuff. So it doesn't necessarily mean that your testicles aren't working just because your testosterone is low. I thought that was interesting. Fat, and especially belly fat, has an enzyme, aromatase, that converts testosterone to estrogen. And of course, you would have heard that estrogen-blocking drugs is one of the most popular forms of chemotherapy. Next point I saved from Jeffrey M. Smith. The companies that make uh, Roundup and other pesticides, these companies are in charge of determining if their genetically modified foods are safe. The FDA does not require a single safety study on GMOs. Now this was determined in a policy in 1992 that was overseen by Michael Taylor. Michael Taylor is the former attorney to Monsanto, and he was given a position that was designed for him by the FDA when the agency was told by the White House to promote GMOs. And Taylor's policy falsely claimed that the agency wasn't aware of information showing that GMOs were significantly different, therefore, no testing or labeling was necessary. Companies like Monsanto could determine on their own if their GMOs are safe. And Monsanto told us that Agent Orange and PCBs and DDT were safe, and they got that wrong. Maybe they'll get it right with GMOs, is the thinking by the FDA. Taylor then became Monsanto's vice president and chief lobbyist. Now he's back at the FDA as the U.S. food safety czar. So revolving door here with Michael Taylor between Monsanto and government. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. And yeah, interesting. Companies themselves are the ones who are supposed to determine that GMOs are safe. So, of course, that's what they're going to say. And that was a complete lie. The fact that GMOs were nothing different. They were aware of information showing that GMOs were different. The lawsuit forced 44,000 secret FDA memos into the public domain, and it showed that the overwhelming consensus among the scientists working at the FDA was exactly the opposite. They said GMOs might create allergens, toxins, new diseases, and nutritional problems, urged their superiors to require testing, complained about the draft of the policy, and their concerns were ignored and even denied. Skipping forward, now a research team headed by Dr. Seralini decided to extend the study of 90 days to two years. Important point here, a 90-day study is not going to show you that much with mice and rats. Almost every mouse or rat is going to have some form of tumors around one year, two years. Some kind of growth, just like an old dog. It's very normal for them to have these lumps all over them. And some of those lumps can be quite big. But when you cut the study off at 90 days, you really can't test cancer or anything like that. Very few cancers will happen in the first stages of life. Even in mice where they try, you know, they implant tumors or they genetically breed them to be susceptible to certain cancers or diabetes or something, still, 90 days does not tell you very much. So this doctor extended the study to two years, the approximate lifespan of a rat. 
and he'd been reviewing the submissions to France and the European Union by Monsanto and saw that Roundup-ready corn fed to rats showed more than 50% statistically significant changes in the animals compared to the control. And Monsanto said, oh, there's no problem. And Seralini says, what do you mean there's no problem? This is very serious. He published it, showing that there was very significant signs of toxicity. So he secretly extended the study using the same type of rats, the same control group size, but many, many more parameters that they tested for, and starting after the 90 days in the next month, the first rats started to get tumors. After 90 days. And by the end, up to 80% of the female rats had tumors, almost all of them mammary gland tumors, up to 50% male rats had tumors compared to far less than in the controls. Now it's interesting that the tumors came from the rats that ate the Roundup Ready corn that had been sprayed with Roundup but they also came from rats that ate the Roundup Ready corn that had never been sprayed with Roundup. So the Roundup Ready corn is genetically modified to not get killed by the pesticides, and it needs pesticides because the soils are deficient in many nutrients, so the plant is fundamentally weak, so they modify it to be able to tolerate the pesticides, or else the pesticides could kill the plant. That's the GMO part. And the pesticide it's modified to tolerate is Roundup itself, right? So Roundup ready corn. It's ready for Roundup. They're saying that they found these problems in rats that only ate the Roundup ready corn that was not sprayed with Roundup. All of them got massive multiple tumors as large as 25% of their body weight. They also died earlier and had damaged their liver, kidneys, and pituitary. This is even the rats that ate the stuff that was not sprayed. And he goes into some reasons why, but the next point that I saved is Roundup also chelates or binds with certain trace minerals like zinc, and zinc would be more deficient in the presence of Roundup. It'll still be there, but it can't be assimilated because it's locked in and bound with the glyphosate molecule. And zinc deficiency is linked to certain cancers, and it's been tested as a possible adjunct or supplement for cancer therapy. In addition, Roundup specifically can promote enhanced breast cell growth and in tiny, tiny amounts in parts per trillion. So this is the amount of Roundup that's already in our air and in our rainwater and in our drinking water because of the overuse of Roundup and because of the Roundup-ready crops. So Roundup has all these different ways. It can also promote inflammation through the gut bacteria. Through the gut bacteria overgrowth, it can promote inflammation in the guts. And inflammation is also linked to cancer. So Roundup has all these different ways like a perfect storm. Now there are certain tissues that are the target tissues for Roundup and it accumulates in those tissues and those are the cancers that are on the rise in the U.S. population. For example, thyroid cancer, liver cancer, and kidney cancer. So there's a lot of indications out there that Roundup and its active ingredient glyphosate may be promoting the growth of cancer in the United States. Heavy stuff there. Moving on to the next point. Same person, Ty Bollinger, saying one of the common arguments that you get from those that are producing the GMO crops is that we need this to feed the world. Jeffrey says, no, no, they need it to pay their salaries. GMOs are so inept at feeding the world that the biggest paper in the world, the biggest study, more than 400 scientists, sponsored by the UN and signed on by more than 58 countries, concluded that the current generation of GMOs has nothing to offer feeding the hungry world, eradicating poverty, or creating sustainable agriculture. That's the ISTAD report. In fact, the Union of Concerned Scientists study showed that it actually doesn't increase yields, and the USDA recent study verified that GMOs do not increase yields. It's a scam. And in many cases, reduce yields. Now, not only do they not increase yields, but they concentrate the ownership of agriculture. They bind farmers in a cycle of dependence on agricultural inputs like Roundup. 
They disallow farmers from saving seeds year after year. And by spraying the Roundup on the Roundup-ready crops, it kills all the other plant biodiversity. We call it weeds in this country. They call it food in the developing countries because they eat a lot of those greens as part of their biodiversity, so it's not designed properly for feeding the hungry world. They're saying that if you kill all the weeds and everything else that's in the field, then you're doing the opposite of what humanity has been doing for a long time. And there has always been diseases associated with agricultural society, by the way. But on the smaller scale, homesteading type of community, they do grow a variety of things. And yeah, of course, they do consume a variety of what we call weeds. Dandelion, for example, is one of the most famous herbs in the world. Look up what might help you if you're feeling sick or something like that. Dandelion tea. One of the first things that come up. Well, dandelion tea is no good if you spray your lawn with chemicals. And it might kill them outright. Which is what happens in the fields as well. And just in a normal homesteading situation, you'd have your main food crops as well. But you'd also have a lot of auxiliary crops. Weeds, so-called. That would be incorporated into your diet and give you some important nutrients. Important plant chemicals. Important antioxidants. Important medicinal benefits. So that guy talked a lot about GMOs, but moving on to our next point from Suzanne Summers. I'm a fan. Okay, and what I saved here, I have to apologize, I got it wrong earlier. It's not mercury in the lipstick, it's lead in the lipstick. Because Suzanne Summers here is talking about her own skincare line that she's developing. That she developed a little business to make uh, chemical-free cosmetics. And yeah, I didn't know that, that lead could be in lipstick. I think about how much lead I've taken in through my lipstick over the years. Yeah, I'd never thought about that before. All right, next point I saved here, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Also a fan of her. And what I saved is, does the virus cause the cancer, cervical cancer here, or is the cervix, which is an exposed organ, have a nutritional deficiency? The organ starts to break down and deteriorate, and then the virus gets embedded into that decaying and sick organ. And the medical community says that the HPV caused the cancer, when in actuality, I believe that a lot of the cervical dysfunction and cervical dysplasia are nutritional deficiency diseases. And we have treated many of them in our office with vitamin A, D, C, natural progesterone, and other things like we get them to stop smoking, get off the birth control pill, and it clears up and goes away in more than 90% of the people that we have kept track of. So yeah, this uh, goes into an important argument here on the terrain theory side. They are arguing, and most of them, by the way, in the terrain theory community that I've seen, at least, most of them are medical doctors. These are not naturopaths. It's medical doctors arguing against the idea that viruses cause diseases. One of their primary assertions is that viruses are the product of the disease. They're something that your body produces. No one's been able to prove that a virus causes a disease. So it's just as tenable that actually the virus is the result, the product, something produced by the body or a waste product in the body, something from the body, not something that caused the disease. Something associated with the disease, but not the cause. Bacteria can definitely cause infections, but it has not been proven that viruses can. So very interesting. She's saying it could be a nutritional deficiency. And she only mentioned three nutrients there, A, D, and C, all of which are very important, and natural progesterone as well, but I would go further. Getting off the birth control pill is a big one. Birth control depletes basically all nutrients. And significantly, that's, it's not a small drain on the system. It's a massive one. Birth control is very, very bad in all its forms. All of its chemical forms are the IUDs. Next point I saved is from a Dr. Verkirk. He's saying, 
If you look at the 3,000 or so inventions that have been studied through the British Medical Journal Clinical Evidence, they find that only 11% of conventional treatments have been proven to be beneficial. 50%, a staggering 50% of unknown effectiveness. So 50% of what doctors are using, according to the BMJ, have an unknown effectiveness. And only 11% actually have a benefit. Yet the average person still believes when they go to their doctor, they're only going to be given an intervention that has been proven to work. And they don't realize that. Even a lot of the drugs that have been prescribed are prescribed off-label for purposes that no one really has any idea of exactly what the outcome is going to be. It's actually clinical practice that informs those decisions. Not, not research, it's clinical practice, because doctors can use the drug however they want. And if that has not been studied, then no one knows what that does. So I just thought that was interesting. Moving on to the next point, still Dr. Verkirk, you can't say anything positive about them. He's talking about natural products. He's talking about how he's constrained and what he can say. You can't say anything positive about glucosamine, and that's because, again, the scientific lens that's being built in Codex, which requires proof of a causal effect, which is very, very difficult to do. You must remember how hard it was to prove that tobacco or cigarette smoking causes lung cancer. I would say they still have not proved it. It's a factor, but not the factor. Anyways, it took over 30 years to do that, so trying to prove that particular foods have specific effects in healthy people is going to be very tough to do. So glucosamine didn't get a claim because all the evidence was based on people who had knee and hip osteoarthritis. So European food safety authorities said, sorry guys, can't look at these trials because they're based on a diseased population. We're in food, so we don't deal with the diseased population. Anything with diseased population is restricted to drug use. So it's a way of carving out whole sectors that we've been used to dealing with in relation to foods that, that get left as future playground for the drug companies that they want to move into that area. So he's saying they want to hamstring our ability to get good supplements in the future, basically. Another interesting point here, if you look at the nine essential amino acids, and we say 12, by the way, e even though a few of them are conditionally essential, meaning your body can make them in most circumstances, we just include them in the essential nutrients. But anyways, he says there's not one authorized health claim about any of these essential amino acids. This is why we're so constrained in our business of selling supplements. I'm really not allowed to make specific claims about what anything will do for you. We have a few qualified health claims from the FDA, a handful, such as I can legally say that supplementing with omega-3 essential fatty acid may prevent heart attack, stroke, and various forms of thrombosis. That's a qualified health claim from the FDA that was won by Dr. Wallach, my mentor, suing the FDA with others and gaining that claim. And they also have claims with selenium where you can say, you know, it may protect you. I don't know the numbers. Like 49% if you take this dose of it. It's a very specific claim that would reduce your risk by this percentage for this certain cancer. There's a few of those types of claims. But in general, it's very hard to talk about our products or supplements, at least to sell them directly because they limit the information that we're allowed to give you about them. So this is, in effect, limiting your information about supplements and about nutrients and medicines, natural medicines. Next point, still Dr. Verkirk. So you take a herb that is vital for liver health, for example, been used for years and years, milk thistle. The Swedes have made it a medicine only. That means you need a prescription from it, from a licensed medical practitioner. That means I couldn't recommend milk thistle to you. Good luck with that. 
This is something that has an antioxidant effect on the body. It works as a food, if you like. Okay, it has a particular specificity in the liver, some in the kidneys as well, but it is essentially a food that is found in milk thistle, and because it has such a clear battery of clinical evidence for how good it is in terms of managing toxicity in the liver, it's only a medicine, and, of course, it then requires people to license it as a medicine. The drug companies don't want to spend their money licensing it as a medicine. You now have some very inferior forms that are licensed using a European fast-track medical licensing system. But if you want good old natural milk thistle from seed and leaf together as a food supplement, it is now illegal. Yeah, that is absolutely the last thing that you want, is the control of these substances. By default, limits your access to them. No one has ever died from milk thistle. Completely safe. Next point I saved is from a Dr. Vickers, talking about a 1987 ruling where four chiropractors from Illinois, they took the entire American Medical Association to court, accusing them of having a branch within their organization designed to eliminate chiropractic as a profession, a licensed profession they were trying to eliminate through the use of propaganda. While a federal district court judge in Illinois found the AMA guilty of conspiracy, that was the judgment, so if anybody tells you when you were talking about these things, you're just a conspiracy theorist. You can lead them straight to the Wilk vs. AMA court ruling of 1987. And the judgment was guilty of conspiracy. In 1953, the U.S. Senate determined that there was a conspiracy to suppress natural cancer treatments in the U.S. So it is no longer a conspiracy theory. It's a fact. I agree. It is a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory. Next point, still Dr. Vickers, our patients are getting 20 pounds of organic fruits and vegetables every day. They're getting 4,000 to 4,500 calories per day in juices. That's a lot of calories. And if cancers were feeding, excuse me, if sugars are feeding cancer, there's no way in the history of the Gerson therapy that we'd be able to reverse one case of cancer because our therapy is completely based on fruit and vegetable sugars. So how is it that we're able to reverse all these diseases, not just cancer, we're reversing virtually every single degenerative disease, whether it's heart disease, diabetes, lupus, MS, rheumatoid arthritis. So why are people saying that sugar feeds cancer? Well, the reason they are saying this, cancer will be fed by sugar in an acidic body. We hear about alkalinity and acidity all the time. Those two terms, they are thrown around like confetti at a country fair without anybody really explaining what does that mean. And I'm actually going to jump through his explanation there. We've talked about alkalinity previous, you need all the water-soluble nutrients, you need plenty of water, I agree, you do need vegetables as well, fruit in season, but hey, if you're going to use high doses of anything for a medical purpose, that's when I agree with juicing, but from what I understand, most of the people who are pro-juicing do emphasize vegetable juices over fruit, that is very, very common, vegetable juices are the priority, not necessarily because of the sugar itself. Next point I saved, still Dr. Vickers, talking about the coffee enemas. So he's saying, your liver produces an enzyme. It's called glutathione transferase, not glutathione peroxidase, which is the antioxidant that we produce in most of our cells. And I'm guilty. I usually just say glutathione. This is a different form of glutathione. Glutathione transferase, which is the most potent detoxifying enzyme in the human body. The liver produces it. What the liver uses is palmitic acid as the chemical base to produce glutathione transferase. Properly roasted organic coffee. It's lightly, lightly roasted. It's not a drinking coffee. It's a particular bean. It's not a drinking bean. And it's also roasted so lightly that you don't denaturize it like you would in a drinking coffee. But properly roasted coffee is loaded with palmitic acid. 
and studies on coffee enemas have, have proven that when you do one coffee enema, the production of glutathione transferase by the body goes up 600 to 700% greater than normal. And our patients, they are getting five a day. Now, whenever I lecture or whenever I talk about this, people want to do two things. They want the potassium supplement that I mentioned, and they want to do the coffee enemas. But here's the problem. When patients are coming to you sick, they are coming to you with severely depleted bodies from the overabuse of processed foods and stress and environment toxicity. These things are depleting the reserve systems of our body that we need to maintain a healthy immune system. When we stimulate the glutathione transferase system with the coffee enema, that requires nutrients. That requires vitamin C, all your B vitamins, iron, potassium, magnesium, zinc. All those things go into firing that system. If you're doing coffee enemas and you're not doing them in conjunction with a massive amount of nutrient intake, you're going to deplete your body further over time. That's very important. We also say this for our liver detox, our liver flush. We say you should top up on all 90 essential nutrients for at least 90 days before doing the flush because it's a very difficult process on the body. And the body might just reject it. It might just nothing happen and you wasted your money and your time. If your body's not strong enough to do it, and I would say there's a lot more nutrients involved than C, the B vitamins, iron, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. All 90 are going to be involved, especially the selenium. All 90 are going to be involved somehow, but especially the selenium and the ones mentioned here. You want to be topped up to support the liver, whether you're flushing it with a coffee enema or with some other method. That was an important point there. So you should know that you can't do a coffee enema with your instant coffee at home or whatever. It's got to be a special bean. You've got to be careful what you're buying there. You want a lightly roasted special bean. Next point I saved, still Dr. Vickers. He's talking about late trial B17. We talked about that earlier from apricot pits where the active agent is cyanide. But he's saying it really has to be done in conjunction with hyperthermia. So warming. It's been shown that when you do Latrow with hypothermia, its effects go up nearly 7 to 10 fold. There are a lot of people out there eating up apricot kernel seeds and they're taking Latrow supplements. It doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. Not only does it not work, it actually taxes the digestion tract of these patients. For example, we know that the digestive tract is 75% of the immune system. You'll hear other percentages on that, but whatever. 75% of the immune system, the digestive tract... So if you are sick and dying, your digestive tract is shot. So it simply cannot take vitamin B17 from an apricot kernel and extract the nutrients out there and utilize it for proper response that you typically would using an IV. So he's using IV and hyperthermia. Next point, still Vickers. I can tell you today that we're seeing in our clinics that what we're seeing in our clinics today is nothing like we were seeing 20 years ago. Cancer has become a completely different monster. And these individual therapies like late trial or IV vitamin C, which we utilize here at the clinic, they are not curing advanced cancer anymore. And even back then, it was few and far between to get advanced terminal cancer cured using those modalities alone. Now you've got to attack it from so many different angles, and that's what we're trying to do here at our clinic. So I just thought that was interesting. I've said this many times myself that when I was first being trained in this business about 10 years ago, I was told back then that it used to be easier to help people. Products used to work better. It's not that the products have changed. In fact, they've even gotten better. We've got newer products. Products have been improved in many ways, not just in our company, but actually across the industry. I think we're doing quite good right now. A lot of shoddy companies and not enough of the active ingredient in there that says on the label. There's all kinds of problems, especially in the supplement companies that are owned by pharmaceutical conglomerates. But nonetheless, I was told that it used to be easier to help people. And I believe one of the big problems here is radiation. Cell phones came into mass use in the 90s, and we've 
continued to crank up EMF in all kinds of different ways. Everyone keeps a cell phone on them now, on their body these days. That's a microwave. That's lowering the immune system. Everyone has a Wi-Fi in their home. This was not that common, even five years ago. We deal with a lot of elderly people. It was not mandatory that you had Wi-Fi and a cell phone even five, six, eight years ago. And now it's just the EMF is such a huge problem. And some of these other authors, I'm sure they would argue that we have so many more chemicals now. Although I, I would actually argue against that. Many people do consciously avoid chemicals. And our chemical exposure, at least in quantity, probably was worse decades ago. Nonetheless, it is true that as we move forward here with the problem of systemic nutrient deficiencies in the soil and in the food system in general, the problem of the overuse of vaccinations, drugs, antibiotics, aspirins, birth control, and on top of this you've got the added stress of a continually increasing EMF and dirty electricity, ion problem surrounding us, then yeah, it is no wonder it used to be easier to help people. It's no wonder that 100 years ago they could use one or two Little things, little tricks, little compounds, and boom, cancer is reversed. It is not so simple these days. People are in much worse shape to begin with, I believe. Next point here, still Vickers. It's a full-time job. I mean, look, if you've abused your body for the last 50, 60 years, and you've been diagnosed with an advanced disease, for us to be able to reverse and cure your terminal cancer in two years, which is typically the amount of time a cancer patient has to be on a therapy, that's an absolute miracle. You're not going to cut corners in order to be cured. It's a full-time job for two years straight. And he's talking about, yeah, their enema schedule here. They're waking up and they're getting enemas and they're taking their probiotics and they're taking their, yeah, they're taking their supplements and doing their IVs. Full-time job. Okay, that's hardcore, but I would agree there with the two-year window thing. You know, when I say we only have a handful of cancer patients at any given time, after a while, I'll stop referring to them as a cancer patient. It's very ambiguous here. I don't have a manual that I can use. I don't know. The people that we have right now, they're doing okay. Mentioned earlier, don't have any emergencies. But I expect to be in contact with them over the next couple of years, yeah. Until we forget all about it. Okay, next point I saved here is actually from Dr. Wallach. Dr. Joe Wallach. Hooray. And I should mention here that I've actually met Ty Bollinger, the guy who runs this series here, The Truth About Cancer. Ton of respect for that guy. He's, he's done a lot of documentary series and just a lot of work over many years. He's very well known in the alternative health world. So he's on the circuit. And yeah, I met him when I was with Dr. Wallach. Ty says he takes our minerals. That's good. But I imagine this guy must take a hundred different products because many of these uh, interviewers have their own products and whatever. And Ty's always saying, oh yeah, I take that. Oh, oh yeah, of course I take that substance to that herb or whatever. Some other time he hears something new in an interview and he's like, I got to write that down. I got to add that into my regimen. Ty probably takes a whole bunch of things, but yeah, Ty was a really nice guy. And I've met a few of my heroes before and I rarely ever asked to take a picture, but I wanted to take a picture with Ty Bollinger. Lots of respect. Anyways, the point that I saved here is Dr. Wallach talking about how he doesn't take a fee for speaking. We do this all without taking a fee. And he mentioned that he was given an award from the United Nations as recognition for a lifetime of achievement in natural medicine as well as philanthropy because he doesn't take any fees for his services. Our whole goal here is to educate people so they can take care of themselves. At the very least, we're going to educate their families so their families themselves don't have to go through the things that their loved ones went through. And yeah, he's talking about how he knew about epigenetics back in the 1960s. He didn't invent it. You know, people knew about animals and he, and he did this big study with the National Institutes of Health doing tens of thousands of autopsies on hundreds of different animals and humans. So they knew that nutrients were causing disease, not pollution. More than 50 years ago. Next point I saved here is from a Dr. Weeks. And we're getting to the end. 
of the book now, past page 1000. He's saying, what's interesting about nicotine, for example, it clears the system quicker if you are dehydrated. So the patient is reaching for another cigarette. If you are well hydrated, they are not quite sure when the nicotine left their system. So he's saying addictions are tougher to break if the person is dehydrated. So he says, the first thing I do with someone who is an addict is I rehydrate them and stabilize their blood sugar. And I've written about this in my book, Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar. There's a whole dehydration chapter in there because I know that dehydration is a big part of most cases of a blood sugar problem, high or low. And of course, you can find that book and all of my books on my website, notusbooks.org. Everything you should know about healthy blood sugar. The podcast version also I posted here recently, so it's up. All of my books were on podcast before, but podcast uh, Spotify took us down earlier this year, 2023. So we had to relaunch and not all the old episodes are up yet. That's part of the reason there is an archive on the website as well, notusbooks.org. And you can download those episodes for free. And on the archive versions, there's actually a special treat if you listen all the way to the end. So those who are listening to the archive now, stick around after I sign out. Yeah, I thought that nicotine point was interesting. Moves out of the system quicker when you're dehydrated, so you need another cigarette to top it back up. Next point I saved here from a Dr. Marcel Wolf. Talking about EMF here. According to North American standards, everything is okay until your cells start to cook by one degree. Well, things happen way before that. You don't want the cordless phone in your home. When I'm talking to people, they could be anywhere in North America, the first thing I'll say is, are you talking to me right now on a cordless phone? Yes. You need to get rid of that yesterday. And you've got cancer? You could be taking all these great things. You could have your PEMF mag. You would have been taking Moringa and Silver and all this good detoxification stuff. But if you are immersed in an EMF environment, you are undoing all the good. I like that statement. I couldn't agree more. In my cancer chapter in Fake Diseases, once again, you can find that on notusbooks.org, I absolutely mentioned that if I had cancer, I would immediately go into the forest. Really, because I'm close to the forest, but if I was close to the beach, I would go to the beach. I would move there, go to the mountains. I'd be spending every day in the mountains. Anywhere where there's lots of negative ions, anywhere where I'm away as far as possible from technology and Wi-Fi, I would not have a cell phone. You would not hear from me. You would not see me on social media. There would be no podcast episodes being released because if I had cancer, I would be leaving the EMF because for me, that's the only factor that I really have left. I have good sleep habits, good eat habits. I take tons of supplements, probiotics, enzymes, all this stuff. The only factor that would really be left in my life to change would be to leave the EMF. Next point I saved here from Robert Wright. He's just saying that 97% of people who undergo chemotherapy are dead in five years. That study was placed in the 2004 edition of the Clinical Oncology Journal. And I do wish there were actual citations here, but I understand this is just an interview. But I've heard that 97% number before, five-year survivability. So I got to dig up that reference for myself. So the very last points I saved here is from a Dr. Zyalininsky. So when it comes to essential oils, it is really important to recognize one awesome thing. There is no one oil for one specific issue. What we have found, and this is really fascinating, is that let's use the Ayurvedic model, Indian folk medicine, for example. There is an abundance of lemons in India. So you'll find that Indians use lemon essential oil for virtually everything. Detoxification, internally, externally, whether you're going to clean the counter or clean your skin. They use lemon essential oils for everything from nausea to halitosis, bad breath, to diabetes, cancer. Well, when you go to Australia, they're using melaleuca, tea tree, and eucalyptus. 
When you go to Oregon and Washington, they're using peppermint for everything. So it's important to realize that these oils, a lot of them do the same thing. And as far as I know, there is no essential oil that does not have a cancer effect. I thought that was really cool. And yeah, people ask, hey, what essential oil could I use if I have a sore throat or a stuffy nose or something? And I say peppermint, tea tree, eucalyptus, lavender. So yeah, people think you need one specific essential oil. Like, oh, there's just this magic plant hidden in Malaysia. That's what helps your sore throat or your sinuses. No, it's that all these essential oils do multiple things. There's many different essential oils that are antimicrobial, antibacterial, fungal. There's many different essential oils that are invigorating, uplifting, that make the sinuses feel better. There's many of them that can make you sleepy and calm. Just like many different plants produce the same antioxidants, like quercetin, for example. So just interesting. Moving on to frankincense, which was one of the first points that I saved. And what frankincense does is multiple things. It produces what's called apoptosis, programmed cell death. So when you ingest frankincense, apply it topically over a tumor, or even inhale it via aromatherapy, what we have found was frankincense essential oil can trigger the cancer cell to die, basically commit suicide. It also gives your body what it needs to kill cancer as well, so it's a dual mechanism. I just recently read a report of over 130 research articles regarding essential oils, and what the researchers came to understand was what essential oils do is prevent angiogenesis, which is the growth of veins and arteries. It stops metastatic growth. It prevents DNA repair, which is pretty key. That's really key because there was one study that compared sandalwood and frankincense, it found that frankincense again triggered that apoptotic effect where the cancer cell died. But sandalwood killed cancer another way. Sandalwood went around the back end, in a sense, and flanked the cell by triggering the DNA to not have the ability to repair itself. So that cancer just died that way too. So there are multiple mechanisms. There are various other ways, plus increasing reactive oxygen species and working at the cellular level to bring out oxidative stress. So, very cool, very important. One essential oil kills cancer this way, the other one kills it the next way. Many different compounds, maybe all of the essential oils out there can attack cancer cells or be considered anti-cancer. So can many different nutrients and therapies. And so we've been given a lot of stuff to work with here in this very long two-part episode. Congratulate yourself for making it all the way through. To me, this was a very good overview of what it looks like to handle cancer from the alternative standpoint. I enjoyed it very much. If you would like to support this podcast more directly, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash therealnotus. That is in the description as well. We have a handful of patrons currently, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the support. Everyone who helps here, who appears as a guest or helps edit, we all do this for free. We do sell our own products. We do sell our own supplements. I do sell books. I will get commissions on a couple of other things that I can recommend here, but nobody pays me to read an ad. We get no ad revenue at all from podcast platforms or anything like that. And so the Patreon helps, and there's some perks there. Some stuff has been posted there that got taken off of YouTube. Almost every week we do a meeting, the nutrition distributors and myself. So we do some deep dives on different diseases and products and nutrients and cases. We go over a lot of cases and talk about what we would do with them, how to get them started figure out an issue that a client is having, stuff like that. Those Zooms are pretty valuable. They're nowhere else but Patreon. Also, all these episodes post there at least one week early, and sometimes several weeks early if I'm doing a good job and I'm ahead of things, laying things out to be posted once a week or so. It could be on the Patreon a month before. And when the video version of a podcast is available, it is also on the Patreon. And you can support with as little as $1.99 a month. 
And with that said, that is the end of this episode. I do appreciate you once again. Stay healthy, my friends. Until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 